How is everyone? Good. I like that. That was all right. Off to a good start. I hope everyone's uh, doing well. I hope this week found you well. Um, I'm glad we had a really good time this weekend. This weekend was uh, our Vice concert. Uh, that sounded really bad. I just call it Liz Vice concert. <laughs> this weekend was a Liz Vice concert, not a concert where we just talked about our vices. Um, <laughs> Let's start over. Hey, how are we doing? Good. Oh, awesome. Man, I hope this week found you well. Um, this, this weekend was a really big weekend in the life of Trinity Church as far as uh, just coming together. We, we did a backyard concert that turned into a Turner uh, House concert because of the rain. Um, but through, through the ups and downs of this week and, and the weather kind of throwing us some curveballs and having to move some stuff logistically, uh, this, this church did what it always does. It faithfully answered, stayed, stayed true, stayed steady. Um, a special thanks to the Davises, who this was kind of their brainchild. They kind of took this from nothing to all the way uh, to a, just a, a great event based around the gospel. Um, uh, another shout out to just our staff. So Jamin and Casey uh, really put a lot of the grunt work on their back. Um, this was a crazy work week for me, so even more got put onto them and just selflessly answered that everything I was texting, everything we were emailing, yes, yes, let's get it done. And it turned into just a beautiful night. Um, I was expecting a beautiful night of, of music, and what we got was a beautiful night of worship. Um, she held church. Like she spread, she spoke and preached the gospel as much, if not more, than she sang. I thought it was very life giving to see this uh, Ugandan, right? Ugandan kids choir come in. I think there were 18 to 20 of them, and just you could tell the joy on their face, and they were singing uh, English worship songs they had learned for the United. States to come over here, but then also brought uh, some of their music, and it was just a beautiful night. Um, had a few people uh, stop me and just say, "Was this? Is this? This was a beautiful night of worship." And I keep thinking, like, "Wow, that, that, that worked so such into a way I didn't think." Where I thought we were just going to get up there, it's going to be an awesome, chill vibe with some great musicians, and it turned into we've had two church services this weekend. So I'm really thankful. <laughs> I'm thankful for all of the people that uh, worked diligently just to see it happen. So um, without further ado, we are still in Colossians. We are moving through uh, Paul's letter to the church of Colossae. If you want to turn to Colossians uh, chapter 2, we are going to be in verses 6 through 15. Um, and we're just going to dive in. So this passage is particularly meaty. It's a little longer than the average passage we try to uh, walk through in one setting, uh, but it all fits together. It all works together, and it is our core beliefs. This is some stuff that we are just going to dwell on. We're going to just let it rain over us, and it's going to be really, um, I think, life-giving. I think it's going to uh, take us back to the basics. Before we read it out loud, show of hands, who works out? Oh, it's okay. I'm not judging you. Like, everyone's like looking at me like if I raise my hand, he's going to like do a head-to-toe assessment. Like, No. Who in here works out? Here and who, you know, move some weight around, some cardio. Okay. So we all understand um, we are in a, a cultural time where wellness and fitness is probably more at the front, uh, front level of just everyday life than it's ever been in America. Um, I know uh, a lot of us work out in different ways. There's a CrossFit craze. Uh, running is still a huge thing. Um, and, and whatever have you. 
Um, but if you start working out or if you, if you go to a gym or if you even have a personal trainer um, and you've ever just taken on that lifestyle of fitness or that kind of workout, um, it's not uh, very far into your workout routine or, or your lifestyle that you understand the foundation and the cores are where you have to start, right? Everything you do um, has to start from the foundation. Everything you do has to start with a good core because if you don't start with those things, no matter what you do from that point on, you're just building building on a, on a shaky ground. You're building on a house of cards. So uh, I am a bivocational pastor. I don't know if y'all knew that. Um, and one of the things that I have an honor to do is I am a member of my city SWAT team. So we put uh, a high emphasis on training, a high emphasis on physical fitness. Um, and I remember as I was reading this this passage and how we are talking about the, fun, the fundamentals and the core, how it instantly brought me back to uh, age 24-year-old Tim, where he, he's full of fire, full of brimstone, can conquer anything, do anything, and he's going to go out uh, for the SWAT team. So my SWAT team has a week version as Hell Week. Um, it's uh, 60 hours condensed into four days, and it's just running and gunning, literally, and a lot of it is is uh, really hard and it's really physically demanding it's, it's mentally demanding um, but it's a, it's a special emphasis on the physicality of that week uh, and fun fact about Tim his first go his first career uh, uh, jump into this world didn't go great um, so I, I don't know much about physical fitness. I'm not overly educated at this point in my life. So I'm just thinking, you know what? I can do a lot of push-ups. I got a can-do attitude. Um, and, and my bench press is, is where it needs to be to make the qualifications for this week. So I go out for this week. Um, and, and Monday, uh, <laughs> Monday rocked me like nothing has ever rocked me in my life. Like Monday at lunch, I realized this ain't happening. But I'm not a quitter, right? So Rhonda and Brad Roundtree did not raise a quitter. So like Monday at lunch, I'm looking around and everyone's like, man, this is tired. But I think we got this. I'm like, yeah, me too. <sighs> this isn't going to happen well. Um, because uh, at this point in my life, I didn't like doing squats because those aren't fun. And I don't like core. Like my core, I was like, ah, planks aren't fun. Sit-ups get me out of breath. Like I'm just going to stick to a light jog. So um, <laughs> Monday night, I get home and Joe's like, how's it going? I said, there's no way this is happening. But I just got to show up till they cut me. So luck would have it around uh, Tuesday. Uh, we got on the same page and I knew I wasn't going to make it then. They figured out I wasn't going to make it, and it was really no longer a problem around 4 p.m. on Tuesday uh, because I just didn't I didn't stick to the core and the basics. I didn't understand that in life, especially in this kind of life, uh, legs are, are, are important and, and, and more important for this, uh, this, uh, this theme story of teaching, core. Your core is invaluable. Like your core is everything. If your core is not right, if your core is not strengthened, it does not matter what else you do. So uh, luckily, uh, as, as, um, as God would have it, uh, another opportunity came on in a few, in a, about six months later. Uh, I trained better, got core where I need to be, and I've had the opportunity to serve with them for the last uh, six years. So it's been great, but it taught me a valuable lesson that no matter what you do, no matter what you think, 
If you don't get your foundation right, if you don't start with the basics, if you don't start with a strong core, everything else is just built on shifty ground. And that's really where Paul is going to get us today. Paul is going to bring us back to the basics of the gospel. Paul is going to say, hey, we can, we can strive for spiritual formation in so many different avenues. But if your spiritual formation, if who you are and how you're living in Christ Jesus and how you're living as a member of the church, as a, as a godly husband or wife or, or father or friend, if how you are isn't rooted in the fundamentals of our gospel, if the fundamentals of our salvation and what that means to you, then you are building your house, you're building your life on shaky ground. What Christ accomplished on the cross is the core of our life. And Paul's going to bring us back to that. He's going to explain that in beautiful language, and then we're going to dive in. So if you would stand in the reverence of God's Word, we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 6 through 15. I'm going to read it out loud. It's going to be behind me, and there should be a Bible on your pew. Verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the full fullness, the whole fullness uh, of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11. In Him also you were circumcised, and with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, putting the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the power of working of God, who raised Him from the dead. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with His legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us and we're going to dive in. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the truth that this passage rings out. God, I'm thankful that we are able to walk through Scripture that roots us in your saving grace. God, I pray for the next few minutes that the Spirit would come into this room and that whatever would be on our hearts and mind that would distract us from your words and your teaching, that you would just, you would remove it. You you would would, uh, just get it out of our thoughts and our ways that we can solely focus on you. God, I pray all things in your name. Amen. All right, so this is a pretty meaty passage, um, and and to be frank, I, I thought about how do I build this out? How do we how do we apply this? How do we do our normal uh, our normal sermon uh, structure inside something so important? And and what we're really going to do tonight is just reign in this scripture. We're going to walk through it line by line, verse by verse, like we normally do. But we're just going to take it apart. We're going to get the marrow out of this scripture and let it reign over us. Because to be frank, if we don't get this, if if you don't understand the Christ's work on the cross for you, if you walk away today not understanding the foundation and the core of the gospel, well, one, I have failed as, as your teacher, but two, you're missing the whole point of what we're doing here. We we have no business building a church. We have no business uh, doing uh, 
the the abstracts or the the uh, secondary natures of what we are if we don't understand why we are here. We don't understand what Christ did for us and through His death on the cross, what that means for our everyday life. All right, so let's walk through it. Um, verse six, Paul hits us off with one of the the, the hardest hitting verses of this passage. He goes there. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. So it's saying, as you receive Christ Jesus, His teaching, who He is, and what He has done, as the Lord, walk in Him. So Lord here is translated to a ruler. So there's usually two Lords in the Bible. There's a capital L-O-R-D, uh, lowercase O-R-D, and that's usually a ruler where He's saying, the Lord Christ Jesus is the ruler over your life. He's, he's the ruler of who you are. He's the ruler of your heart. What He does and who He is should count captivate you and you should walk in him and that's what he's calling us he's saying if you understand who Christ Jesus is and what he did for you, what he did for you you have to walk in his ways rooted and built up in him establishing in faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving so he's saying the faith that has been instilled to you the faith that has been taught to you and that has been explained to you about what Christ has done he's saying be thankful for that faith faith is a gift Right, faith is, and, and, and I don't have time to go down the, the rabbit hole that is what that fully means, but I'm telling you, the idea that we said yes, the idea that, that the gospel was presented to us and we said yes, I want to follow Christ Jesus, I want to be a son and, and daughter of the one true God, that, that, that action, that faith is a gift that Paul is saying, always live out your faith in a way of thanksgiving. Verse 8, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So he's saying don't let things of this world take you captive. Captive here is used in other parts of the Bible, and it's, it's, it's similar to like a pirate. That's, that's the best way to describe it, where pirates come, come on board, and they take control of your vessel, they take control of your property, and, and they take control of, of ultimately your life. And he's saying, don't let these things take take you captive. Don't let these things box you in. And he's not uh, making a, a out-and-out uh, assault on all philosophies or all that stuff. He's saying, if it's contradictory to Jesus Christ, then it's wrong. And, and we see that a lot today. We see that, that, that empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world. There's a lot of stuff that um, we try to add on to our faith and thus making it just a religious act. We see a lot of times that the culture of our world, the culture of our, our cities, the cultures of, of all the things, they're just trying to add on or they're trying to make everything just a little more palatable or making everything just a little uh, uh, easier to take in and, and maybe tearing down some of the accountabilities. And what Paul is saying, those things will take you captive. Because the truth about the work of Christ, the, the, the truth about what, cross, what Christ did on the cross, anything you think you have to add to that is actually subtracting to the work of Jesus. Anything that you think, hey, what he did is great, but I also just need one more thing or I need one uh, more to-do list. Anything that you feel like you have to add to the work of Christ is actually you trying to subtract from the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Because what he did was complete. 
When he said it was finished, he meant it. There is nothing you can add. There is nothing you can subtract. When Christ died on the cross, he atoned for your sins once and for all. And anything else that this world tries to add to that is a lie. Anything that they're trying to add on to that thought, to that theology, to that core belief that we we let reign over our life is ultimately uh, just a world tradition. It's ultimately just empty deceit. Alright, as we move on uh, to verses 9 and 10, and he says, In the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Christ is the visible expression of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. We are complete in what Christ did because of Christ's work. It is lacking in nothing. It needs nothing. The Christ's death on the cross where he atoned for our sins once and for all is all we need in our life as a salvation work. There is nothing that you can add to it. When God looks at us, when, when, when God looks at us, his sons and daughter, he looks at us through the lens of Christ, the blood of Christ reigns over us, atones for us. And when God looks at us, He sees us through Christ. He sees us as He sees us through the intermediary that is Jesus. Colossians 2, 11 through 15, where he talks about we're talking about the circumcision without hands. So circumcision is really just a covenant that was first established in the Old Testament between God and Abram and then turned into Abraham, where he says, You will be my people, I will be your God. And, and throughout the Old Testament, you see circumcision used as a way of marking a covenant, which is really a, there's not a great uh, worldly definition of, of covenant other than a contract, but a covenant with God is so much more than a contract, because a, tr- a contract really just does a, a quick pro quo, like a, you do this, I'll do this. But there's so much more with uh, a covenant when it has to dealing with God and, and with Christ atoning blood. When we talk about the new covenant in, in the New Testament where he's saying, you have to have faith. I've done everything else. And yes, you're a broken sinner. Yes, yes, you're not perfect. And every day is going to be war. And every day is going to be a grind. But I've saved you today. I've saved you yesterday. And I've saved you tomorrow. You are a child of God once and for all. And he says, you were dead in your trespasses. And we're going to hit this up in a little bit in Ephesians 2, where he says, you were dead in your trespasses. You were a sinner. You were born a sinner. The first breath you breathed out of your mother's womb was a breath of sin. Everything you did up until the point of, of taking Christ as your Savior was done as a broken sinner needing a Savior. And even though you were dead in your trespasses, you were dead in the way you were living your life, Christ died for you. The debt was paid. And ultimately, he put Satan to open shame. He says, yes, um, you you may be uh, the ruler of this realm. This may be your world, but I've come to conquer that. Because really, ultimately, all sin and his his rulers of authorities have is, is sin and death. That's their, that's their big push for power. That's what they can actually say. This is our world. But what, what Christ did on the cross is he conquered sin and death. He took that away. He put them, like Paul says, he put them to open shame. Thus knowing that one day he will return again and all will be made new. Uh, there will be no more death. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. Because once we were dead in our trespasses, but God, Christ died for us. All right, that was a lot. 
Um, that was just, you know, the, the totality of all of our theology that we believe that makes us child of God. And we did it in seven and a half minutes, which is like 20 seconds faster than I thought I could. So let's stay focused and let's stay on it because there's something I want us to dwell in, right? Like that that's great. Nothing I just said should have been really profound to you. I, sh- I didn't get any like, what? Or the head shakes. Like for the most part, I'm just, I'm just re-establishing stuff that you've probably learned in Sunday school and Bible studies all throughout your life. But what I want to do tonight and where I want us to move into our application, where I want us to be able to let this reign over us, is I want us to actually break it down to, are we alive in Christ? Because like I said, everything I've just told you, you know is true. You know to, you know it to be academically true. You know it to be historically true. But do we actually understand that Christ died for our sins? And when I say that, He died for all of them, and He died for them all at once. If you look at Ephesians, Paul writes a very similar passage in Ephesians chapter 2 where he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the courses of this world. So it's easy for us to say, like, yeah, I get that. I get that. I used to be a sinner. I still am a sinner. I still struggle. Um, I don't feel necessarily that I conquer sin any better uh, one day from the next. But what Tim is preaching is true. What I've heard preached um, from this pulpit or other people from this pulpit has always really been that Christ died for me. But do we actually let that reign over us? Because in Ephesians chapter 2, it goes on to say, But even when we were dead in our trespasses, God died for us. But God in His mercy, because of, of His love for us, He sent His only Son to die on the cross. That means your brokenness has been made whole. That means your nastiness has been bleached. And that means your sins have been forgiven. And that you can't out-sin the cross. And and that's, that's a beautiful thing for us to say. It's a beautiful thing for us to sing about. But it means nothing if you don't actually live it and believe it. If you think right now, Tim, I I know what you're saying. It sounds great. Christ died on the cross. But you don't know the brokenness that I'm at. You don't know the life that I'm living. And I'm telling you, it's nasty, it's gross, and there's no light. I'm not living alive at all. I'm just keeping my head above water, and I'm doing a bad job at that. I'm telling you right now, you can't out-sin the cross. Your brokenness is not so far gone that can't be healed by Jesus Christ's blood. And the idea that we even think that's possible is because we're not living in the freedom of Christ. We say, yes, I know he died on the cross, but you don't understand the nastiness in my heart. And what I'm saying, Christ didn't die at you, didn't die for you at your worst or your best. They were equally broken. He died canceling the debt of your sin. And this is a fact that that Satan prays you actually never believe. How many times have you been disqualified or you self-selected yourself to be disqualified from something, a sin that was forgiven 2,000 years ago? I spent a large portion of my adult life telling myself I was too far gone, I was too broken to ever do anything for the cause of Christ. And that wasn't um, because anything other than a lack of me understanding the freedom that comes to actually believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. We have a problem of thinking that Jesus Christ died on the cross for almost all of our sins and everyone else. 
But that there's that one sin, there's that one struggle, there's that one thing that we continually ask forgiveness for that's been forgiven for years. I'm a journaler. Who here is a journaler? All right. Um, every time I ask y'all a question, you feel you look at me like I'm going to check you on it. Like I'm not coming to your house and finding your journal. <laughs> yeah, you're, you and your moleskin, that's cool. Like I'm not, like, there's so many like, and I know I'm talking to some of you that I got like half. Like I journal unless you want to see it, then I don't journal. <laughs> So I journal, right? I'm a journaler. I'm, I'm a methodical person. I journal as much as I can. But it, the, the sadness of my journal um, that I reflect on at early on, because I keep most of them, which is a horrible practice. Um, <laughs> but I keep a lot of them. And if you look back, uh, it, it's, it's not a thing of liberating freedom to see all these things I've journaled. It, it's, a, it's a lack of understanding freedom. If you went through my journals from my early 20s up until age 25 or 26, um, you would find me just asking forgiveness and feeling broken for the exact same things and never actually living out the freedom that was mine to grasp. Because he didn't just say, hey, we're going to forget about your sins. We're going to forget about No, no. They, they had to be paid for. They were paid for with a very high price, but they were paid for with the blood of our Savior. He nailed them to the cross. He didn't put them in a jar so we can bring them up later. He didn't, he didn't put them in the background of our mind so when we get in an argument, we can bring them back up. No, our Savior nailed them to the cross alongside His body and said, I am dying for each and every one of you. And each and every one of your sins, you've been atoned for, you've been loved. You have the blood of Christ reigning over you, atoning over you, that you can live and walk in the freedom of Christ. Christ loved you, Christ died for you, and there is nothing you can do to change that fact. And that's a game changer, right? That's not a get out of jail free card. It doesn't mean, okay, now we get to live a life of licentiousness, that like we should sin. Like Paul writes in, in Romans 6 where he says, what should we say as we continue to sin? Should we sin more just so grace should abound? He says, by no means. He said, we are called, we were baptized in his death. Now we, are, we were buried like him in his baptism and we were rose from the grave with our Savior that we may walk in the newness of life. Think how, freedom it, how, how much freedom there is to understand that the old you has been cast away. The old you has been buried and the new you has been risen with Christ. It doesn't mean tomorrow is going to be super easy. It means tomorrow there's a newfound hope that, that surpasses anything that can tomorrow throw at you. Because your sins are going to come at you, right? Everyone has the same, not the same, but everyone has uh, the same battle with different, with different issues. I know tomorrow there will be things that will continually get in my wheelhouse. There will be things that, that I think disqualifies me, that my brokenness abounds. I, uh, I spent a large portion of my, um, of my adolescence, like, man, I've, I've spent from age like 4 to 10, um, and you all know my story, I spent my, 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 my years from age 4 to 10 being really systematically abused pretty bad. Right? And I'm not trying to turn this to like a Debbie Downer thing, but everyone knows my story. But it has set me up for a lifestyle, a lifetime of brokenness where I think I just can't get out of this loop. I can't get out of the cycle of brokenness. I can't get out of this cycle of darkness. I can't get out of uh, this, this feeling that I'm just unworthy. Like, I know, I know what this book says. I know what Paul writes about. I know what Christ did. But it doesn't change the fact that every morning I wake up and I look at myself and I think, I'm not sure I'm worthy of this gift. 
And the beautiful part is we're not. The, free, the most freeing thing that anyone ever told me is like, you're not worthy. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace from God. You don't have to try to earn the cross. There's nothing you can do to outsend the cross. There's nothing you can do to earn the cross. It was a gift from God. I spent a lot of my mid-twenties thinking like, I, if I, if I, I, I'm getting called to teach. I feel like I'm called to work in, in church work, but I can't. Because I'm so terrified of what I would make that church look like if I came on staff. I'm so terrified that if I told you I was a pastor at Trinity Church, you wouldn't think more of me for being a pastor. You would think less of Trinity Church for letting me be your pastor. Those are real anxieties that I deal with. I remember sitting down uh, with our former pastor, Stephen, and he'd be like, I think you should do this. And I think, I think I shouldn't. <laughs> I think I shouldn't really bad. He's like, no, I think you should. I think you'll be good for it. I think you're high. I think you don't understand the brokenness that is in me and the lack of me willing to walk in the freedom of Christ. Because here's what we try to do. We say, okay, I understand I can walk in the freedom of Christ, but I also think I need to do this and that. And we think we're trying to actually bolster our our spiritual formation or bolster our religion or faith because we're saying, I'm going to walk in this freedom and then I'm going to do everything I can, X, Y, and Z, to also make myself a better person. Any change of your life outside of the cross is a waste of time. You are not going to change your life and thus change your heart. You have to change your heart, focus it on the cause of Christ, focus on the atonement of Christ, and through the changing of your heart, you will change who you are. You are absolutely called to be a better person. You're not, look, we're not looking for perfect people here at Trinity Church. We're just looking for progression. We're saying, hey, me and you are both sinners. We're pretty bad sinners. Let's not stay the same. Let's move closer and closer to the cross. Let's move closer and closer to the freedom that Christ has already paid for. He's already paid for it. We just have to take it. With a changed heart is a changed life. The idea that your best life is out there without the cross is a, is a lie and a fool's game. You're going to set yourself up for failure. You're going to set yourself up for depression. You're going to, self, you're, you're going to set yourself up for unmet expectations that you will never hit. So in conclusion, um, I want us to walk in that freedom. And I know that's super easy to say from the pulpit. Like it's Sunday morning or Sunday evening, and we're just being our best versions. We have our, our buttons buttoned all the way top, some of them higher than others. And, and we just say, hey, I'm going to bask in the glory of the gospel. That sentence just sounds beautiful, but I don't actually know what that means come Tuesday afternoon. And come Tuesday afternoon, what it means is your brokenness and your sorrow and your nastiness has been atoned for. So walk in the light of your Savior. You were bought with a price. My mom always said you were bought with a price, act accordingly. And for a while, I thought that meant like, hey, like almost survivor's guilt, right? Like he picked me. I was, I was the, gift of, the gift of faith came to me and, and, and the Christ is my Savior. So I will... I will act accordingly like I don't I know I, salvation is mine thank you and then I, if, I, if I cuss I need to drink less or at this point I need to drink none and when she was distilling this on me um, and, I, and I thought man I act accordingly I, I just need to do better I need to be better and the reality of what she was actually saying was you've been bought with a price walk in the freedom of that price walk in the freedom of that ransom we've already been ransomed but we're living in captivity Freedom is ours. We just have to walk in it.
What is the point of knowing about the freedom of Christ if we refuse to live it out in our daily life? Here in a second, the dishes are going to come up and sing two more songs. I don't specifically know what those two songs are, but I'm sure they surround about the gospel and the freedom of Jesus Christ. That's generally what we sing about here. Um, and as we sing, as we, as we stand up and we sing to our Savior, and we have the opportunity that, that this country gives us where we can sing as loud as we want the freedoms of the gospel. I want us to actually think of the words we're singing. I want us to actually to, to, to let the, the words that Paul wrote to us reign over us as we sing about the freedoms of Christ. So let me pray over us and we'll, we'll worship a little more. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your atoning work. God, I'm thankful that when you look at me, you don't see the brokenness that I feel, but you see, you see the completeness of Christ. God, I'm thankful that when you look down at me, you see Christ's blood reigning over me. God, I yearn for a day when the brokenness is gone. I yearn for a day when I don't feel nasty. But until that day, I'm going to walk out in faith. I'm going to walk out in the cause of Christ knowing that my Savior lives. He was buried, but a lot of people have been buried. He was buried, but He rose Again, conquering hell in the grave. God, I pray that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and, and throughout my week, that that truth radiates in my soul and changes me from the inside out. That the heart change establishes life change through the freedoms of Christ. Amen.